Welcome to the School of Art and Design podcast. This series features conversations with undergraduate students around their final year research, driven by their experience within the interdisciplinary academic and research methods module, commonly referred to as the constellation module within the school. Hello, I am Dr. Martin Woodward, the Associate Dean for Student Engagement in Carter School of Art and Design, and I am here with... Hello, my name is Adrienne Titley, and I am a textiles BA on student at Cardiff School of Art and Design. My name's Dr. Karine Canavan. I'm Principal Lecturer in Textiles and Adrienne's Supervisor for her dissertation. Adrienne, could you describe the kind of practitioner that you are now, having finished your studies with Cardiff School of Art and Design? Yes, I would say I'm a mindful practitioner. So I really think about um, what I'm going to to do before I actually do it. So I plan and um, I'm a lot more organized now that I've finished my studies. Um, I'm intentional, I think. Everything I do with my practical work is um, for a reason. And I've learned through my studies to give a reason and be able to articulate that. Would it be worth explaining, Adrienne, the two different options on the textile course where you, you've opted either for textile artist or textile designer? Yeah. So we had the option to go down a more designerly route or a an artist maker route. And I chose the artist maker, but I do cross over to the designer um, because I, I really do enjoy the the design aspect of it and the concept and I'm quite conceptual but I do enjoy making and having the that um input into how something's really made and I think the dissertation um research that I undertook really informed what I use to make um my pieces so um sustainable fibers and um natural dyes and things Oh, lovely. So there's a very responsible practitioner element to the, the things that you do. I am very responsible. Yes. I, I really research what I'm going to use before I use it. So I, I really enjoy the research aspect of it and doing my dissertations really helped me to enjoy it, I suppose, and not see it as something I have to do, but see it as something that I'm, I'm, I, I'm good at and... Um, knowing where to look for information. Mm. Um, so in my practical work, I I use fabric that is sustainable and is biodegradable. And the information I've gathered from my dissertation has been is um taught me to find to to know where to find that. Could you uh, could you outline it in a nutshell, the, the the dissertation topic? So if you were if you explain it to somebody in five seconds, ten seconds, how how would you how would you explain it? I would explain it as researching whether we can grow flax in Wales to create linen today. So um, looking at whether it would be viable to to grow flax and cultivate it um, and process it here and now in contemporary Wales. Could you perhaps go into some of the history of, of uh, flax growing in Wales and talk a little bit about yeah. your research into that? Yeah, so... I began by contacting St. Fagan's Museum. They gave me a little bit of information and told me that they were um, artifacts that they had in the museum 
that indicated uh, because it's specific tools that people use to process flax, and they had um, those those artifacts in the museum, so it indicated that it had been processed in Wales. But the history of flax in Wales is quite—I find it quite difficult to unearth a lot of the history. And I think it's really, really interesting. I think it's a whole other route that somebody could go down to to research that. I think it's a an important aspect as well of the textile history in Wales, but there are place names around Wales, like Llyn, uh, Bryn, which is Linen Hill. So it, it's not just Flax Hill, it's Linen Hill, which is, I think, quite important because it, it shows that it's been processed into flax, you know, and around that area. And um, so there's there's different parts of Wales that have got a, a rich history of flax and linen and hemp as well. Um, so I think there's further research to be done. It's a really um, ancient fibre, isn't it? Known right back in the Paleolithic times. Yeah, it's over 30,000 years. Well, they, they found fragments of flax, so processed flax, it was woven and spun and dyed in caves in um, Georgia. And that was dated to 30,000, over 30,000 years ago. So it's it's really old. And it, it showed that um, people have been processing fiber for a lot longer than they actually initially realized. It's really interesting, I think. And, and just to be clear, can you explain the process of growing flax and the processing, just so everybody's clear about flax being spun? Yes, yeah, spun, spun into linen. Yeah, so um, it's it's grown from a seed. So it, it could grow with very little water. So it, it could grow naturally without uh, just using rainwater. Um, and it takes about 90 days to grow. And uh, it's pulled from the ground. So a lot of um, fiber um, crops are cut, but flax is actually pulled from the ground. So it's, it's actually really good for the soil. Um, and then it's retted, so it'll be soaked in water, not, preferably natural running water um, for, for a few weeks just to soften it up because um, the, the fiber inside the stem is covered in uh, pectin, so it's encased in these pectins that need to be softened. And um, then it's broken up, it's um, kind of snapped, I suppose, to get rid of the barky, strong um, surrounding of the, the fiber. And then you, you, you're left with your, with your fiber. That's a really shortened version of it. It is quite a long process, but it's a, quite a, a summarized version of it. But it's, it's a really, um, labor intensive process but really rewarding I, I did grow some on my allotment and over the first lockdown actually so at the, right at the beginning of the lockdown and then at the end of it I pulled it it was really good timing and um, I, I pulled it out and it does it leaves the soil really really beautiful is really nice quality soil and some of it depended solely on rainwater it was um I feel like it's a miracle plant. It's it's really it's really lovely. It's a lovely crop. So yeah, I pulled it out and I, I managed to process a little bit of it, and it, it was a, a few threads. 
but it was a, a really strong fibres. And can you use every part of from the very tip at the yeah. top um, to the to the root? Can you use every component part of the plant? Yeah, so it grows. I think it's about a meter in length, and so it's quite a, a long crop. And you can use the, the whole the whole stem from the top to the bottom. So it's a uh, and it, it, because they grow upwards, it's good to to keep the weeds under control as well. So they they cover the ground quite well. So it's a really good arable plant to reintroduce. Do you know why it, it ceased to be grown in Wales? Do you know why it became less popular? I think it was partly to do with the introduction of cotton and um, wool. People used a lot of wool. Um, around the same time. So I think the the introduction of um, the machinery that sped up the processing of cotton is quite well known. Um, and there was machinery that sped up the, the process of processing um, flax, but it wasn't, they, they didn't concentrate as much on that because cotton just took over completely so it just kind of fell to the to the side but it is gaining traction again people are starting to uh, realize the the potential that flax has and i think with modern technology and the, the advances of um machinery it is easier now for people to process it it's not as laborious as it as it used to be and is there anybody processing flax today either in wales or or in in england or yeah there's quite a few so i concluded with my um, my dissertation that really um forming a cooperative so with a, a a farmer maybe a weaver um and maybe a dyer all coming together um would would really be the the best um, most beneficial way and productive way to start producing flax, not just in Wales, but in the UK. And there's people around the world who are doing it um, in America, but there are people starting to do it in England, Southeast England. And um, I, I found out a couple of days ago that somebody has started to do it in Wales or is in the early stages of growing flax in Wales and forming a cooperative. Um, and forming a, a Welsh fibre shed as well, who were, would oversee um, or regulate people's um, methods of growing to make sure everything's organic, because you can grow flax organically. It doesn't need to to have um, treatments and things. It does. There's ways of speeding up the process of retting it, um, so it you know you can get to the nice fibre faster, but. You don't have to. You, you don't have to use the, the chemicals to um, to do that. So it can be grown completely organically. And obviously, in Wales, we've got a lot of water, rainfall, natural water. So we could grow it. But there is to answer your question. Yeah, there is. There is groups of people who are. Um, since I I finished my dissertation, I've seen quite a few groups forming who are doing pretty much what my conclusion. Was and do you think that's got? Do you think COVID's had an impact on people's attitude to circular economy or the environment? Or are they more aware of their purchases? I think so. Yeah, and I think people are 
really a way because people had to kind of rely on local sources of food in some places. And I think a lot of farmers have had to think about diversifying as well. Mm-hmm. And so we're, they, I don't know if you heard about the, the farmers, the dairy farmers who are having to throw away a lot of milk. I think there's a lot of um, new generation farmers as well who are coming through and they've got these really fantastic ideas about um just starting different businesses, different enterprises and kind of add-ons to what they already do. So growing crops for fiber. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. It's, I think it's quite exciting. Um, it's been a really hard time for the farmers, especially I think during the, the pandemic, but I think consumers are now realizing that they do have options and, and because of social media, they're becoming more aware of things like supply chains, where things are coming from. And it's quite widely publicized that the you, you can question now who made your clothes, who where things have been sourced from, where your materials come from. So I think people realize now they have options and they're becoming more educated, which is, I think, it's a great thing. You you, uh, you mentioned the cooperatives, uh, and, and you're just starting to see them grow, or, or, or you're, you're now seeing them where you couldn't see them before because they might have already been sort of there behind the scenes, right? What do you think is your now you finished? What's your what's your next step? What's your long term ambition for this for this research in in general? I think there's there is some research already into flax growing in Wales, but it's about twenty years old, and that was done by. Bangor University, but it's still relevant today. And I think if they could kind of highlight the research that's already been done, but bring it up to speed and maybe the government, the Welsh government could get involved possibly to form these cooperatives. Because I think if there was funding, farmers would be really up for it. I think they would really, there's land available, I think they would really benefit. I would like to see people form cooperatives because I'm from rural Midwale. So I think it would really benefit those farmers who are struggling at the moment to because there's also a problem with the with the um the amount of wool that farmers have that is now is a waste product really because they there's nowhere for it to go. So I think if there is scope to combine the linen with the wool. If there was an option for, I, I think the problem is the the farmers don't have the skills to process their fibers. They don't have the skills to process flax into linen, but they do have the skills to grow it and to breed sheep. So if they can merge with people who can, in communities, then it would be a really nice way to create new enterprises in Wales. So that's what I would like to see. I'd like to see further re- research into that now to because I've kind of realized what needs to be done, but I think if it could be pushed forward to actually happen, it would be really cool. That would, that would fit in with the Climate Change uh, Committee and also the Welsh um, 2019 Climate Emergency do you think would that fit in with their strategic plan in Wales? Yeah, because when the the Welsh government have set themselves targets, they've set a lot of businesses targets, and if you start a new business in Wales now, it has to adhere to certain um, 
points that the, the legally you have to adhere to. Um, you, you've got to be more sustainable than people would have been in the past, really. So it's a really, really good way for a group of different um, people, so farmers, weavers, the processors, to all be able to contribute to the Welsh government's goal of hitting these targets because they, they're doing really well, I think, the Welsh government. And they, they've, with regards to the um, their plans for a cleaner Wales, they've, they've got really good plans in place. And I think for them to push it further, they need to bring different groups together. People need to work together to be able to because at the moment it's it's a little bit separated where the, the farmers are they get funding for different um incentives to to be more sustainable. But if they can all come together to work on one particular area, I think it'll really bring a lot of respect as well to to each other's um way of working. What do, what do you think this means for you as a textile designer? A lot. Um, I think for me personally, I'm I'm aware of it, but I think as for textile designers and artists in general, I think it brings an awareness because for me, the reason why I started doing this dissertation was I, I realized how much waste I create and, and we do a lot of sampling and I realized that my samples although they look really nice, they're creating waste. So I, I thought if is, there's got to be a way to sample but not create waste at the same time. So if I can do it on a truly sustainable fiber, then I'm, I'm doing something that isn't, you know, it's, it's not causing any harm. So I think it's creating more mindful practitioners i think more people are becoming aware of do i really need to sample that on this fabric or can i sample it on the paper that's already been used is there another way i think that's what's happening people are looking for alternatives to to what they're doing what about um the preparations before your dissertation writing and and what both in your studio practice but also um in your academic writing um research skills what do you think helped you prepare and contribute towards writing such a successful uh, dissertation in your final year thank you <laughs> um my proposal so once i'd worked out what I wanted what route I wanted to go down for my research. My proposal kind of came together quite organically, actually, because I started to just make a list of all of these different um, areas that I needed to look at. And there was loads of different areas because it's quite a new subject to research. There's there's not that much research into um, flax in Wales. So... Um, the, the proposal, having a really good proposal, a, a broad, solid proposal really helped me to um, plan. And also it was during lockdown, the first lockdown that I, that I did my first proposal. So for uh, when I was writing my, my dissertation, it, 
it wasn't the the way that I'd planned to write it. I'd planned to write it much sooner, but because of the the lockdown, it meant that I um, I couldn't do it as I'd planned to do it. But because I had my proposal, I was able to go back to it, and I did go back to it quite a lot to recap and you know just when you start to feel kind of tired go back to it and think ah yeah 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 I'm back on track it 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 kind of brought me back to what I was writing about it was it was really helpful to do the proposal I think um so you sort of it really critically positioned yourself and prepared you for developing it in your final year yeah definitely definitely it was I think that was the um the main area that um really helped me was having a strong proposal and um obviously an interest in something that you were saying at the start when you introduced it which really sort of resonated with me was that the idea that understanding the the benefit of the 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 local growing for the, the the local agricultural site that you're growing it on, so the 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 health of the soil, mm-hmm. and that level of responsibility to to sort of biochemical part aspects of the land that are beyond the designer's process or design beyond the designer's responsibility. Normally, there's something really interesting in that as a way of awareness raising, of understanding that 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 is a thing in the first place. Because you might not re- realise that you, growing flax in certain parts of rural Wales would have a benefit to the nutrition of the soil for the next generation. Yeah, you know that's that's a long term benefit, which is is small for you as the one who's growing it, but has massive impact in the future. I just wondered how that changes your your your, your idea of responsibility and being a, being aware of what you do and how you do it. That um, how that how the, the weight of that and no, it's not weight. I guess the the opportunity to make such massive change with such a small thing. Yeah. And how that, maybe it's a comment more than the question, but how, when you start to apply that back to thinking of your everyday practice, how that changes how you might approach it and how you go about it, who you include in the project, how you, yeah. as you say, it's a cooperative approach that you're sort of going for. Yes. But, but it really does feel like what you've touched on is is way beyond your generation in terms of its impact. And and that's that's a really powerful message. Yeah, I agree. And I think people are becoming more aware of the kind of the footprint that they leave. So realizing that what we do affects not just ourselves. So it's a choice really, isn't it? It's a choice that practitioners have to do the research into where something comes from. But yeah, I agree. It's I think it's quite exciting to to think about, oh, we can we can change sounds dramatic, but you can change the world by doing these kind of small things. Because if it was a small cooperative, you're affecting the community and you're changing the farmer's way of of farming and you're changing the maybe a weaver's network of people. Maybe she's working in isolation before just with her just with her loom. But now she's, you know, networking with you know, there's loads of different things that you can you can get from these things. So 
Yeah, I completely agree with you. And does that relate through to your studio practice with your interest in natural dyeing? Have you grown your own plants or sourced your own organic dye material to follow then through to your constructed out, you know, final outputs? Yeah. So with my practical work, I use... I use a number of different processes. So I do use natural dyes and I print with natural dyes. And I then, I wad my my material with sheep's wool from um, Mid Wales. So I, I know a farmer in Mid Wales who I, I source my wool from and I wad my, my fabric with that and then I stitch over it digitally. But I, I wanted to make sure that all of the, the the, con- the entire construction of my work is biodegradable because I I realized I was I had all these samples and I was thinking what can I do with them but then I realized they're completely biodegradable so you I could compost them or I could um, put them down as um, you know to prevent weeds on my allotment and it, so I do everything that I've learned fr- from researching my dissertation has really informed how I create my work. And it's hard. It's really hard because you kind of think, oh, I, you know, am I going to, is it going to make sense? Uh, you know, people are going to think it's, it's just naturally dyed fiber. But it, I think people do get it and people do appreciate that if you have that integrity to, to stick to it and just keep going with it, it my work does look different and you can tell that it's it's made in a different process to um something that's been say digitally printed which which can be a, a, a sustainable process as well but um yeah so it has completely informed how i create my so you're combining hand with digital processes yeah. in your artwork but then also from that creative point of view before they are put as compost on your allotment you're exhibiting would you like to explain a little bit about your forthcoming exhibition in Cardiff yeah and so I am exhibiting in Crafton Bay in um, Cardiff Bay and I'll be exhibiting my I for my final um major project for the, for my degree, I've created three pieces as part of a collection, but I also, for the previous module, created a triptych. So they're all going to be exhibited together as part of the exhibition in Craft in the Bay. So that'll be very exciting. Is that in June? So throughout the whole of June, I'm very, 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 very excited. <laughs> so as well as having an online exhibition with... Um, the School of Art. So, yes, it'd be nice for people to see. It's exciting because the galleries and the museums are all starting to open up, and and mm-hmm. um, I think that's that's really exciting. So, but as part of your process, there's that huge element of enjoyment, not only for yourself but for the public to to view your work and enjoy it from an aesthetic point of view as well. Yeah. So my work it it started with um. And kind of inspiration from um, quilting and um, vintage quilts that I'd seen in St. Fagan's Museum. And so I started creating these kind of um, quilted pieces, art pieces. But you can't, when you see something in a photograph, it's, it's still not the same. 
So if you see a painting in a photograph, you still don't get exactly the same elements as when you, you see it in the flesh, I think. So my work, you, sometimes you can't tell from a photograph that it's quilted and it's actually really tactile and um, it, kind of 3D almost. So I'm really excited about people being able to see it and um, kind of experience it. And see it because when you see something in a photograph and then you see it in real life and it looks different, I think that's really exciting. Sometimes it's a, a bit of a surprise. So I'm, I'm looking forward to people seeing it. And, and just to add from um, a supervisor's point of view, um, how um, very organized Adrienne was towards her, her dissertation writing, her research methodology was of an extremely high level. And you've worked incredibly hard while juggling a lot of, of, of other responsibilities at home. Um, um, Adrian's mother to a, a lovely little girl. And um, so a lot of other responsibilities going on in your life, but you phenomenally uh, focused uh, upon your passions for textiles and your dissertation writing. So huge congratulations, Adrian. You've um, produced a remarkable piece of work worthy of taking forwards. And in fact, would you like to say a little bit about what we might propose to do in the future with regards to your research. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so I, I um, think we discussed working together or collaborating on um, maybe a, a publication um, and a, a conference piece. So I think that would be really nice and very exciting. I've never had the opportunity to do anything like that. So I'd... Um, Looking forward to it, obviously, with yourself. So that'd be great. Joint collaboration. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you very much. There's something really admirable about the the very local, very slow, very um, small scale with which you approach it and the kind of thoughtfulness of it and, and the impact of it. Because there's a lot of pressure um, on art and design education and on practice at the moment to be, to be sustainable it has to be uh, mappable and impactable now. You've got evidence that you are now. What you're doing is you're starting something slightly different, which is starting a practice which is slow and methodical and building community, which has impact in 20 or 30 years' time, which can't be measured. And that you know, to, to go against the, the wave of the pressure of being sustainable now and, and, and being seen to be and just carrying on because you have the passion is, a, is quite an admirable thing to see. So it's a, it's... I mean, I've always been a fan of community-based approaches for that reason, because you're not you're not tied to someone else's agenda. But to actually see it and hear you talk about it in that way is 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 really nice to hear. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been lovely working with you, Adrian. Ah, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about the ideas discussed, please check the show notes, which would include some links and references. And to find out more about Cardiff School of Art and Design, please visit the website at cardiffmet.ac.uk forward slash CSAD.